2: Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts? Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at bandbiogs, on Instagram at bandbiographies, search on Facebook for bandbiographies, or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Band Biographies not just special because it's the first main episode with an intro by me but it's also the first of what i hope will be a continuing trend of interview-based episodes on this episode i talked to one of the founders of the pete shelley memorial campaign paul lally and two more members of the group paul banks and ellie porter i mentioned the work of the pete shelley memorial campaign in the buzzcocks episode and that they'd not quite raised enough money to get a blue plaque put up to commemorate him on Shelley's childhood home in Lee, just outside Manchester in Wigan. Well, on Friday the 4th of December 2020, two days before the two year anniversary of Shelley's passing, the campaign finally reached its goal and the blue plaque was unveiled by Malcolm Garrett, the artist who was recently awarded an MBE and designed the early Buzzcocks album and single sleeves. However, Wigan Council recognised the worth of the campaign to raise Shelley's profile locally, nationally and internationally, and they paid for the plaque, leaving the Pete Shelley Memorial Campaign to divert the funds to other initiatives that you're going to hear about in this interview, including the lasting memorial to Shelley, as well as local educational initiatives. Coming up is my chat with Paul, Ellie and Paul. But before that, why not go to com and buy some merchandise to support the campaign? Because, as you're about to hear, their work is far from done. I'm here with Paul Lally, Paul Banks and Eleanor Porter. And um, what I want to do first off, just ask a couple of fairly easy questions, I think, just to get the ball rolling. Going round, we'll figure out an order to do this, but for each of you, where did your love of music begin? And more specifically, punk rock? Uh, Who wants to take that first?
3: Don't mind taking that first?
2: Yeah, go for it.
3: I think um, my love of music really was, was... My brother, I think, was responsible, really, for that. I mean, my age is... I've just missed out on punk. I think in 1977, I was eight years old, so I sort of missed out on the joy, really. Well, my brother was a bit older, and he was the person who brought all those fantastic records into the household. So when he used to nip out of the house, I used to play all his records. That was the sort of idea. But he was a big Fall fan, and I think the the, the first time that I ever heard Buscox was um, when he brought home um, Live at Electric Circus um, EP. It was that 10-inch Virgin record, and I think Buscox was the last track time up, I think it was. And it's when Pete introduces the song, and you just get you know, that, that, the way that he did it, he thought it was just sounding so different and so intriguing. And I think from then, really, that sort of, you know, unusual way of doing things, it sort of was a big inspiration to me. So really, when my brother was out, I used to play all the records and that's how I got into punk, really. And, you know, I think Paul's a bit older than me, so I think he had a more of a direct experience <laughs> of punk. But yeah, he's a, definitely my brother, Simon, who's responsible for my love of music and love of punk rock.
2: So you were playing the records when your brother was out of the house. Was it forbidden when he was in the house? Was it sneaking into the room and
3: <laughs> Definitely. He brought this Pioneer Stereo at the time. He was um, I think he was working at BNFL at Risley or something. He had quite a decent job at the time, even though we you know, we never had a decent stereo in the house. So it was I'd never heard anything like that before. So when you put these records on, they sounded sounding absolutely magnificent. So yeah, it was it was just an opportunity. I thought, right, he's got out for a couple of hours. I'll see if I can just educate myself with some great music. So it was, I have really fond memories of that. I did confess to my brother later on that that's why some of his records got scratched uh, because I was probably jumping up and down to a lot of them. Um, but he's forgiven me now. You know, he's a, he's, Excellent. He's a little fella.
2: <laughs> Good stuff. And uh, Paul, as Paul Banks said, Paul Lally, you've got a little bit more of a first hand experience with punk.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose I'm the, the old man in the, in the campaign. In 1977, I, w- I was 13. A spiral scratch, obviously um, massive to me. It, it was one record I went out to, to buy. Uh, I was aware of who Buzzcocks were. I was aware of who Pete Shelley was because myself and my mates locally, obviously all being from Lee. We knew Pete. We'd, we'd see, you'd see him around from time to time. His brother had a record shop in Lee and, and, not long after that, um, we knew him. And, and because of that, there was always that bit more special of um because they were, they were close to one. But obviously, at 13 years of age, uh, 1977, Punk was was just breaking, really. Um, we're all, he, he wasn't rebellious at 13. It was something to latch on to, something to get involved with. And it's sort all of like developed from there. As more and more punk bands came along, obviously you got into them, and and that was your music. And for the rest of your life, you know that the way that made you feel at thirteen years of age, that was that was your music for the for the rest of your life, and still is.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think your brain at that age, around about kind of twelve, thirteen, fourteen, is that's when it's most like a sponge, if you like, especially for stuff like music. I know that a lot of the music that I was listening to around about. 13 to 15 is still the kind of music that i go back to because it's like nourishment you know
0: yeah i mean at that age as well in 1977 it was it were different times schooling was, was wasn't was the best you know it, it was sort of like you was there to be bullied by the teacher something sort of so you had all that sort of thing going on policing as well in, in that time wasn't the best you know you couldn't go anywhere you know keep keep watching what the police were doing so so that type of music, a lot of the bands were singing about that type of stuff that like you could relate to. Mm. I know Pete, you know, he had a different sort of like take on things, and his type of songs were different. But you can see why punk was was a big attraction to you. You could relate to it. You could relate to what they was uh, what they were singing about, and it was a big draw was punk.
2: Yeah. Well, again, it was like we were talking about when we were setting up this interview earlier on in the week that the punk rock movement back in the seventies, especially, was it was easy to get involved because the people that were performing were yeah. also the people that were in the pubs and the clubs and, and what have you, you know, they weren't unaccessible. They were, yeah. uh, they were right there.
0: Yeah. and There's something else as well, you know, when we talk about generations, different generations, I remember one of my favourite bands were, were the Angelica Upstairs. And I know they come probably a year, a year and a half after that, you know, when, when punk broke. But I loved the Angelic Upsets and I would always play them at home. And my dad, he hated punky, so I say it was like Turn it down, I'd turn that off. But my dad actually liked the Angelic Upsets. Oh really? And re- yeah, and the reason he liked the Angelic Upsets is because my dad was a staunch union rep. Right. So obviously because they they sang th- songs about the time, you know, like anti-Taxi songs and things like that. My dad he sort of like liked them. And, and to me, I thought, oh, brilliant! It's amazing. And my, and my dad now he's. Uh, 75 now, my me, me dad, but, you know, I, I can relate back to them times and, and think, I can't believe it, you know, that's, they're my band, you know, well, what you, you can't find them, you know, but it just shows you, don't you know, it's uh, the appeal of it for different reasons.
2: Yeah, it was music by the people for the people, wasn't it? Exactly, you know, if, yeah. you, if you've if you got, a, if you've definitely, if you've got a relation to, uh, you know, unions and workers' rights and that kind of thing, then you're going to buy into that message that they're giving out
1: yes indeed.
2: and um someone who's got slightly different perspective perhaps ellie as the youngest of the lot of us what about you where was your first musical revelation
1: i think it's it's always been probably the biggest part of my life but through my dad mostly i mean he was punk when everyone else was when it was like around to be but the first proper shock to me was I went to see the Stones at the Yard and Buzzcocks are supporting, and I think that was what set it off, really. But the whole punk thing was when I went with my dad to see the Exploited right. in two thousand and eight, and at the time I was into boy bands and whatever was popular. Shall I say? Sure. Always, I mean, I've always liked rock music and stuff, but it was never it never really struck a chord until then, at least. But it was always through him. It's always been in the back of my head or playing somewhere in the distance.
2: So it was there was a lot of that kind of music on in the house while you were growing up and it's just always. osmosis.
1: <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> nice,
2: nice. I suppose we'll go back the other way. Actually, no, well, I'll go back to Paul Banks again for the first one because it'll be an interesting question to tell back round to Forelli. I think. So, Paul Banks, what was your first single or album that you bought?
3: i will be quite embarrassing, actually. I think it was, um, <laughs> do you remember the single Toast by the Q-Tips that Paul Young sang? I, don't, I can't remember when it was released. It was in the 70s. There was a record shop in Lee called Rumble O's, and it was sort of in this basement. And I just remember hearing it on the radio, and it had this sort of catchy, um, oh, I can't remember what the lyrics are, but it was about just singing about bread. It just sounded really daft. And obviously <laughs> it's like, it's a bit of a, I don't know, it's a great song or, or a crap song, but it, was, it, it just appealed to me in that childish sort of way. And I remember buying that single and playing it to death. And then my parents were, you know, they're into Elvis, or into Johnny Cash and stuff like that. So I suppose the, the explosion in terms of, you know, being really into music happened, as I mentioned, with my brother really, when he started bringing, you know, better music into the <laughs> Although I do love Johnny Cash, I have to say. Yeah. But I wasn't really sort of a, a massive buyer of music either, really, until really maybe 20s and 30s, really. It's only when I, you know, of had money in my pocket. As well as, you know, being into Buzzcocks, Pete Shelley. I, I mean, I'm a really big Fall fan. I think that's where my real love of music, started and that was the band that I've probably seen more so it's any, any bands that I'm into but you know the Buscotch records are just sort of it's you just can't believe how great they are I think that's the sort of thing But it, it's I think many people have said this have always compared it to sort of the punk vehicles really and that's the quality of the music I think really mm-hmm. and you know I saw Buscotch maybe four or five times but this was like in sort of 2000s and you know 2010s really it was not it was not earlier on Mm. But, was, you know, it's when they were doing the gigs at the Apollo when I would Devoto join them again to do that sort of reformation of the band. And it was an amazing gig, completely chaotic, but completely amazing.
2: Yeah, because didn't they get all three lineups of the band? Yeah. They had the original lineup with Devoto. And did they did they bring Garth Smith back for that?
3: I think I was a bit too drunk, to be honest. to didn't notice <laughs> what was going on, but I do remember it being, I do remember how Devoto got in. There was just a sense of chaos about the entire thing. And it was brilliant. And that's exactly what we wanted, really, when we were yeah. watching it. But uh, I think I've saw him last in Liverpool. I think it was the Casimir in Liverpool with my wife Nicola, and got basically got made deaf by because we were next to one of the speakers, and it was the loudest gig I think I'd ever been to. Uh, (laughs) But you know, they're all fond memories. I suppose back to that question, it's it's I've gone off on a tangent now from the first single I bought until the entire history of the music that I love. But
2: no, absolutely not. I mean, the other question would would be you know, gigs and favourite and most seen bands. What was the fall like to go and see? Because I can't imagine that being straightforward. <laughs> um,
3: completely a miss with the fall, I think, and that that's well documented. I think, uh, and the first time I saw the fall properly, I think, was in um, 1987 when they were doing, I think, it was the Friends experiment tour, and it was it was fantastic. And then I think I saw again the fall most when they, in in the sort of latter years, really, when I suppose you know, Marky Smith was was a bit poor at the end, really, as well, and it was. But there was still an incredible band to watch. You know, you just didn't know what you were going to get. Mm. I think one of the last gigs I went to was at um, like a social club in Salford, and again, it was just completely just complete chaos and one of the largest gigs I've ever been to. But it was just so unusual. You know, that was what was beautiful about the fall. But then you could go to them the, the next week and it's the worst gig that you've ever been to. You know, they do twenty minutes and then walk off stage. And um, but that's what you—that's the risk you've got to take when you're a fall fan. Definitely. It's all good. It's all good for the soul. You know, it's a bit like supposed to football club who, who, um in the sort of, you know, second division. They're never gonna get in the charts, but you think they're the best football team in the world, you know, that, that's what being a four fan's like, I think. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And Paul Lally, again, first music that you ever bought, gigs that you've been to see. Tell us about it. Well, what I I mean, can no remember, no um, one's no one's got a cool answer to first record bought like that. That's where we have to just leave all our pretensions at the door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think my main um, when, I, when I was buying records, I, what I remember is <laughs> wagging it from school with the mates, getting on the twenty six balls going to Manchester, hanging around HMV and Virgin you know, and and we were buying records. Uh, and I remember. Rattus, the first Stranglers album, um, the class first first album, Damn, Dam Damn, Damn Dam, Dam by the Damned albums like that, and then we used to trade them. You know, we'd we'd all buy them individually, then we'd trade them between each other, and and that that's what I uh, recall about my um, early early music.
2: So you've got you've got cool answers to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I suppose if I can go back to when I was about ten, I think I remember. Um, Buying a Mud album uh, out of my pocket money. I think it was probably about 1975-ish or something like that. Before punk, obviously, but yeah. um, that's what was that, what, that was what was big at the time, I suppose. But Absolutely. I was never really into him. I just bought the album because I liked how it looked. It had four love arts <laughs> on the front, and it, and it had a, each member of the band in these love arts, and it just looked cool. I suppose yeah. that prompted me to buy it uh, out of my pocket money.
2: I mean, the mod scene was quite a sharp look, wasn't it? The vespers and the suits and all that. It was a, it was a strong look.
0: Yeah. I, I remember when, when the mod scene came back, probably about 1979-ish, and I remember being a punk myself in Lea, and there were a few mods around as well, around, around about the same time as in 79. So I remember it, it coming back in, in 79, but it was always... There was a big difference between punk and mod. You were either punk or you were mod. There was no in-between, do you, you know what I mean?
2: Yep, yep. One of the guitarists in one of the bands that I play with is absolutely against playing any mod records. We're not allowed to play any mod songs, no jam, <laughs> none of that. None of that weller rubbish, you know, <laughs> even though I love the jam and I'd love to play it, but, you know, it's one of those things. It's it's dyed in the wool like a stick of rock.
0: Well, I always relate to the jam as as uh, being a punk band because when I was buying records, obviously in 19... 19- 77-ish, I think it'll be In the City or something like that was, was their release. Uh, and, and that that would be one what, I, what I'd bought um, during the tube station. It'd be not another one what I would have bought. All the early jam stuff I would relate to to yeah. the punk scene. But you know, if you remember in the early days of punk, there weren't loads of bands like, like what came later in, in the later 70s. So I think a lot of bands got record deals on the back of punk because every label wanted their own punk band, didn't they? And, that's how a lot of bands
2: came about, really. Yeah, well, it's one of the things that I've kind of learned through doing the podcast, in fact, because I've started with the kind of original five or six bands and some of the initial punk bands as well, like Chelsea, was really more of a mod band when it started out. And a lot of them kind of evolved from playing kind of 50s, 60s garage rock tunes to and then becoming this harder, faster style after the Sex Pistols came out. But yeah, it seems like there were like five or six bands. When Malcolm McLaren put on the punk special, it was literally the whole of the UK punk scene under one roof, and there's like seven bands. You had the Sex Pistols, the Damned, Susie and the Banshees, Subway Sect, Buzzcocks, and I think there was a French band as well. That was it, basically, in the whole country.
0: Yeah, indeed. indeed. I mean, locally, in Manchester, obviously, we had bands like... um... Obviously, the, the story was like Pete, Pete went to London with Edward De also saw the Sex Pistols, brought it all back to Manchester. But we had um, a couple of bands, you know, around Manchester, and the Dogs were, were around at that time, and they, they played early days as well with, with Buzzcock. So mm. there was a couple of bands around on, on the Manchester scene mm.
2: um,
0: in the early days.
2: Yeah, and who are you watching? Which is the band that you've seen the most?
0: The bands who I've seen the most, this is going to be so on punk now because probably the band I've seen the most, uh, I'd say Echo and the Bunny Men. Right. And and if, if I said, you know, what's the best gigs I've been to, I would say Echo and the Bunny Men, The Cure. And I don't know, I sort of like look at it in a different way. I look at it like, um, I don't know if it's because I'm a tight old man, but I look at it like value for money because Echo and the Bunny Men can play for two hours and it's all the old classics and you feel like you're getting value for money. Same with the Cure. The queue can play for three and a half. I was with it. You know, play the entire extensive catalogue, and you know, you feel as though I'm it, good with that. You know, getting real good value for money here. Yeah. Well, back in '79 is another gig I remember. Locally in Lee, we had um, a weekend pop festival. It was called Manchester meets Liverpool halfway, and halfway between Manchester and Liverpool is Lee, and it was a festival that, that was arranged by Tony Wilson. Obviously, factory records and there were bands from Liverpool the on. there was Echo of the Bunny members on, on, on that Orca, someone who was in the dark and then you had the Manchester bands um, Joy Division um, the distractions played there and it was an absolute flop there was about 30 people that turned up the entire weekend and I remember me and my mates at the time you could get in over the fields at the back <laughs> uh, and they had security all, all around and they were like Els Angels the security so if, if you saw your opportunity, you could sneak in, but then you had to try and keep a low profile because obviously they knew you'd not bought a ticket and there were that there were nobody you could hide amongst. And then as soon as they see you, they'd, they'd throw you out and then you'd, you'd be like, oh, we came back with them for hours in and out. So we did catch quite a few bands from that. It's a shame, really, that it wasn't really well attended, but because there were some absolutely brilliant bands on there that all went on, you know, to, to bigger and better things as well. Mm,
2: uh, mm.
0: But I do remember that. It sticks sticks in the mind, that one.
2: Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And so, again, if we come around to Ellie, it's probably quite presumptuous of me to think it, but you're from a generation that maybe hasn't even grown up with physical CDs. I don't know, you might be different.
1: The first piece of music I ever bought myself was a CD single, but you are right in that it is mostly digital. and. I can't find myself talking to my friends about records. Anyway, put it that way.
2: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I bet. Are you a bit kind of on your own in that respect, or is punk music and kind of alt rock and things like that? Is there still a click for that kind of thing?
1: It is still relevant, and there is a, quite a big community online for younger people who are into it. Say, but it's a lot harder to find in real life.
2: Mm Mm. because I think one of the things that has happened in the last I don't know 20 years or so is that music's less tribal I know when I was younger it was quite obvious who was into rock music who was into the more poppy UK garagey kind of dancey stuff and it was very obvious who you could go and kind of make friends with and who you were supposed to avoid (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't seem quite so clear-cut nowadays
1: no definitely not
2: so what what was that first single, if you don't mind me asking? Because uh, I know you were saying about, you know, your pop groups and stuff. <laughs> I'm going to undermine your punk credibility now.
1: <laughs> it was uh, by a band called The Wanted in about 2013. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> well, the first single I ever bought, like a, a disc, like a vinyl disc, was Bohemian Rhapsody in a charity oh. shop in Wales. So I've got that to my name. <laughs> there
2: you go. You, you, you clawed it back. It's all good. I mean, I know that my first single was the Bare Naked Ladies one week, so I don't know whether that's cool or not, really. <laughs> just just to make everyone feel a little bit better. So what about bands and stuff? I know you were you were talking about The Exploited. Did you ever get to see them live?
1: Yeah, I went to see them in 2018 uh, with my dad. There was a support band on called In Evil Hour. They end up being much better than The Exploited were, dare I say it. <laughs> but I've got tickets to see other bands, but obviously that's been postponed.
2: Mm, this year... <laughs> Don't get me started on this year. I I think The Exploited can be a little bit hit and miss as well, a little bit like The Fall. I think Watty especially has had his troubles with health over the last couple of years. But I know what you mean about going to see a band, because were you disappointed when the support band ended up being the band that you preferred?
1: To be honest, I came out of it and I wasn't really aware of what had happened. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realise until a few weeks later that I actually enjoyed Spot support band more.
2: You needed time to kind of process it.
1: I needed time to think about what he was saying. I couldn't hear him when I was there. Google <laughs> <laughs> <up> the lyrics.
2: Because <laughs> I've had the same thing. I've gone to gigs to see a specific band and then been blown away by the support act. But there's always that thing of like, oh, well, actually, no one else knows about this band. You can kind of be like, oh, guys, listen to this. This is amazing. Yeah. And uh, you can be the discoverer of that. I used to like being that guy. (laughs) What was the last gig any of you went to see before lockdown as well? Back in February, I got to see The Interrupters. And that was the tail end of February, like literally the next week was lockdown. And at the time, we thought it was only going to be a few weeks. And now here we are almost a year later. (laughs) And I've not seen a live gig since. Live music is one of the things I really miss. So what was the last gig you went to see before this whole shit show of a year?
3: <laughs> it's difficult to remember, isn't it? I think our brains have all been, you know, collectively liquidised over the past um, 12 months. I think it was Squeeze, I think.
2: Oh, nice. Um,
3: I bought, um, my partner Nicola's just a massive Squeeze fan. I got her tickets as a present, but honestly, they were they were incredible. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, they're uh, just, you know, incredible musicians. They've got an incredible sort of backcast. So I think it was a lot of what Paul was saying about it. You know, it was just foot solid and same for two hours. And it was, mm. you just forget how many great songs that they, they actually did actually produce Squeeze. So that, that was the last, you know, and again, it's, it's, it's all sort of in a distant haze, isn't it? When people are all sort of, you know, Thousands of people in a room dancing and enjoying themselves, but it was a, you know a great memory to have. I think, you know,
2: absolutely, yeah. I know that at the Interrupters gig, I wasn't really looking at the stage. I was having far too much fun dancing with people and getting hammered. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Squeeze are one of those bands that have got like such an enormous back catalogue, and you have no, you you don't realize how many of their songs that you know. Yeah, they're incredible, especially like Up the Junction. I think is an absolute master. Yeah,
3: yeah it was. Yeah, they played that, you know, Cool for Cats and you know, yeah. it was just just great. They you know how 10 to tend to turn and great musicianship, but also just down to earth people as well. I mean, it, there's no pretentiousness about it at all.
2: Mm. Just
3: a really, really good night. Mm. I think um the next band though I'm gonna be watching is Echo and the Bunny Man and I don't think Paul Lally's forgiven me if they haven't getting tickets. I don't <laughs> you didn't, Paul, you didn't get tickets for that gig, did
0: you? <laughs> I did.
3: Which <laughs> no. is so yeah, I think um, he has put a few strains on the campaign. To be honest, that um, I think he's been wanted to boot me out of it because I've got tickets. He hasn't. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that, Tom.
0: It's, it's fine. I'm forgiven, <laughs> <laughs> and I've not given up. But hope I'm getting any yet. So in this time
2: yet. Yeah. What about you guys? What was your last? What was the last gig you went to see before the lockdown?
0: Well, my, mine. I think Paul's having problems with his memory because mine was in February, because uh, obviously we put on gigs on the on the, the memorial campaign, and we, you know that's what we've been doing for two years, and we put on an excellent one in February, which was in Lee, um, and it, and it featured the Drones, the Distractions, bus cars, um, Not Sensibles, uh, benefits State. so so like some some big wow. bands what we put on there. Uh, and to refer to Paul, we don't obviously we don't get to watch the gigs. To be honest, we, we're in and out. we're on the door, then we're in, then we're in, and it's like that. But obviously February was yeah that gig. It was, it was an excellent night, and that was my last gig. Before that, obviously I know I've told you, my sons in a, in a band called the Lottery Winners. Mm. I've, I've, I've see them quite a lot, so I've been quite active gig wise the last couple of years really. Mm. Mm. Uh, and then hopefully maybe Echo and the Body Men if I can get a
2: couple of tickets, you know. And Ellie, what about you?
1: Uh, The last concert I went to was in November last year, which is probably now the longest I've been without being so on. Uh, It was a tribute concert, a punk night, fittingly. There was Bootleg Bondi with Clem Burke, Complete Clash, I think they were called, the Sex Pistols Experience and the Ramonas. And weirdly enough, that's happened to be now my favourite concert. But the week that lockdown started, it was in March tickets to sister foot fingers and it was two days before the concert and it got I went in lockdown. So.
0: That, that, that gig that Ellie's referring to there it, um, in November hmm. with Blondie and Ramona's that's the same date as we had um, I remember the day I think it was 23rd of November because we had a Peach Ellie um, gig that night and we had uh, Boscox tribute band on it was absolutely amazing fantastic if you couldn't see them, you would actually think they were the real thing. So, oh wow, was another, another good uh, event that we, we put on it was, uh, but it was the same dates as the because as I, I know um, there were people that came to our gig that actually had tickets for that, that gig in Manchester that, that Ellie was just talking about, and they were like, This goes, oh, I've had to buy tickets, what come here? We've already got tickets for go there, and without <laughs> like that, it was, uh, I think we need we, to look at um, dates a bit more closely sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Have the gigs that you've put on for the campaign been well attended?
0: They've been really well attended. The the last three we put on in in Lee all sold out before the actual dates, which is quite eye-opening. And you know what what surprised me, and probably surprised Paul as well, um, when when people come and, and you get chatting to them, they've come from places like Edinburgh, somebody from Wakefield, people from Brighton. And, and all these people from all over the UK, we're all coming to to Little Lee in middle of Norway, you know, in Greater Manchester, for, for Pete's Lee, you know, memorial campaign gig. Mm. You know what? Watching bands that, that were that were all big in the in the 70s, and it's been quite eye opening. You know, it's it's really well supported. And it's like having your own little community. It's it's you know, it's a, it's like a big family, and uh, it's been really really good to see people, you know, from all over the UK coming coming and turning up and showing the support and. And I'm sure the businesses in Lee will be, will be delighted as well, you know, that, that there's people coming into town and spending money in town, you know, booking hotels and, you know, things like that. So.
2: Well, that's it. It's not just uh, the memorial campaign, is it? It's yeah, having people coming from all over the country is a boost to the local community as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. When, when you look at the bigger picture, that's, that's it, isn't it? You know, when you look at the bigger picture.
2: Yeah, and it's certainly something that we've we've all been kind of, reassessing this year in 2020 anyway is you know thinking about where we source various things how we can support the local communities and all that and I'm sure that it's something that we'll get onto later on in the conversation as well but it just goes to show the power of Pete Shelley's songwriting with Buzzcocks and and his solo stuff that even all these years after their massive hit they continued to tour and put the work in and that's kind of garnered a real cult following. And I think it's a, it's a testament, really, isn't it? That these people are still going to the gigs and supporting your campaign. The final question that I want to put down before we get onto the questions about the campaign itself is what is your favourite song, either by Pete from his solo stuff or Buzzcocks? Tough one, that one. Yeah, who's, who's going to go first?
3: It changes every time um, for me, really. I think thinking of Pete's work, I was really into um, I Believe. Um, I, I was just playing that to death, that song. I mean, it's not one of the singles, but mm. I just love that sort of refrain at the end of the, of the song. And just the my instrument that I like to play is bass guitar and at the end of it, is, there's just this moment at the end of the song where it, it's just like crazy sort of really aggressive bass line at the end of the song. And, um, you know, there, there is no love in this world anymore. It's a great, you know, that, that lyric that's going on and on and it's been repeated and repeated. I like that about, buzzcocks that repetitiveness that they have i think that's what the fall have as well in a way in a strange way so songs like asp which there's been a time in life i used to play that song to death just because of that guitar line that used to go over and over again I, I love that relentless you know banging that 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 sort of riff out you know and not caring about changing it you know it's yeah. um, and boredom obviously is the is the other example of that isn't it which is the 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 ultimate guitar song the best guitar soul of all time <laughs>
4: The and
2: one, two
3: notes, it? one and a uh, half
2: but, note guitar song. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so I think, um, I mean, obviously I've mentioned my Me love of the fall. I think, you know, that it's just that it does, it tends to change, you know, the, the specific songs. It's There's probably a handful of, of Buscott songs that I would always say that, you know, Orgasm As It is, I think when I said mention around um sort of live electric circus probably the first time i heard buscox but the mm. when the singles going steady actually was a really big thing i know it's a, it's a collection of you know greatest hits rather than being um sort of an album but that was just wall-to-wall genius that it's just that you was thinking when's when's this when's there going to be a duffer on this record <laughs> and there never was it was all they were all great but orgasm was for me it was just like so powerful that it just blew my mind out you know and the, and the lyrical craftsmanship i know it was you know Lyrically, you know, penned by our devoto but it's you know, just the way that Pete delivered it it was just
0: incredible. It's a difficult one, but an easy one as well. Um, because I will always say that my favorite Buzzcock song is, is Boredom from, from the Slidle Scratch EP, and simply because it, it was the beginning, it's, it's, the, it's the thing that started it all, it's the one that started it all. So to me, I, I would say Boredom, but obviously. After that, I bought everything that what they did after that. And um, you know, Organism I'm at it, what do I get? I don't mind. Um, and then you go to the album tracks. So there's, there's some excellent album tracks. Sixteen again, in, in particular, uh, excellent tracks. So it's difficult because they're all good, but then it's easier as well because obviously Borden began it all. So, so I'd go with with Borden because it was there at the beginning. I
1: think mine, I think I'd say the same about boredom just because it's like it's erratic and it's in your face. But I think my all time favorite Buzzcock song would have to be Nostalgia or Real World. I like the lyrics in both, but I think it was Penetration's cover of Nostalgia that made me actually listen to it properly. I don't know what it is about it, but it's just I think it's a proper crafted song,
2: right? I'm just trying to figure out which album that's on
1: Love Bites. I think right. Nostalgia is a. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah that's amazing doing the podcast i really got into the later material like the self-titled and, and modern and flat pack philosophy especially i thought that album was brilliant because yeah. Yeah. i wasn't fully aware of the post 2000s stuff that they did and listening to that stuff i was like this band has still got it you know they were still cranking out amazing songs and you're all right you know it's a very difficult question to to answer because there are such brilliant songs and they span the whole way through the band's career but um yeah just incredible songwriting incredible those those are the kind of icebreaker ones. I know that I said that it would be like you know quarter of an hour, twenty minutes or so, and we've been doing it for <laughs> forty minutes or something like that. now. But uh, we'll we'll get into the meat. It now.
0: Nice.
2: Yeah, no, it does, and this is the thing, isn't it? It's what we were saying on Monday. Um, when you're talking about music and you're talking about things, especially that you're properly passionate about, it it takes as long as it takes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Indeed.
2: Yeah. Just give me a little bit of a potted history of the Pete Shelley Memorial Campaign. How did it start and what was its original goal?
0: For many years, being from Leap, I was aware, and I know quite a lot of others you know, of my age are aware that Pete had never been uh, recognised or honoured whatsoever by the time. It's as though he never existed. Uh, and, and I'm not blaming anybody for that because Pete himself, by his own admission, said that you know he didn't like telling people that he came from Leigh because his mum still lived in Lee and he didn't want people mad than his mum so <laughs> you know you can understand that um, but it was kind of sort of like disappointing that, that he was never honoured even though it's understandable and then when he passed away on the 6th of December 2018 it, it gave me I don't know sort of it was a strange feeling sort of like anger in a way that you know that, that now he's gone and he's never been honoured you, you know and I and, and immediately thought that like, it's got to change you know and I need to get together with his fans and we need to make sure that this changes type of thing, you know, he needs some recognition and honour and, and it's simply because I know how it made me feel as a, you know, as, as a young lad, as a, you know, as 13 I was proud that I shared the same home time as Pete and then I watched his career and I saw what he went on to do and what he w- went on to achieve and, you know, that that's sort of like legacy, it's important you know, for, for the town, it's important for, for future generations and they need to see that. They, they need to see that, you know, you're up against it in Lee. You know, you've not got a lot of opportunities uh, unless you, you travel out of Lee. But Pete showed that, you know, he, he started with nothing and he went on to achieve, achieve massive things, you know, and, and that legacy needs to be preserved and, you know, other generations need to see it and he and and proves that anything's achievable, you know. He sort of like proved that throughout his career. So I felt passionate, you know, that, that way about, about it. And I, I vocally um, on social media on some local groups I put something out saying it's disgusting that he's never been honoured you know I went down that, that route sort of thing you know it's terrible and he should be honoured and, and before you know it that you know, there was a few people agreeing with me uh, and it was sort of like escalating much to my surprise the following day I had contact from his family members of his family who still live in Lee and there me expecting to be told off by saying all this thing you know at a bad time but they actually agreed with me and supported what I said and so I've like me to, you know, if you feel that's something about it, we'll support you, we agree with you, you know, go for it. And since then, obviously it's it's grown since then, and, and the family's been in touch, and we're in touch on a daily basis now, that we're, you know, we've become good friends through it all. So the support and the encouragement from the family has always been there. And since that that beginning, it has grown. now, you know, and we have got like a, a big following. And we've, you know, we set out. You know, we we had certain goals which we're ticking off one by one, and and, it, and it's all it's all been good. It's all been positive. I never anticipated it to get so big and so busy like it has done that lately. But that's where we're at now. You know, that, that that just shows, you know, what Pete meant to so many people. My first part of call was uh, I contacted my local councillor who happens to be a music promoter in his first time and I asked him the question can you help with, with with this type of thing and he put on the first couple of fundraisers that, that we held in, in wigan so between us we, we, we sort of like kick-started it so we put on the events and i, and I expanded the, the campaign on social media and, and drew the audience so that was you know that's that's the beginning of it and then it just it just sort of escalated from that but also as well as something i, I forgot I was sending emails left, right and centre to certain people to try and get them on board. And I remember emailing Andy Burnham, who's the mayor of Manchester, back in December. And he agreed with with what I was saying, you know, saying, you know, Lee lads have done good, he should be, should be honoured, you know, and and he called a meeting at the Turnpike in Lee, uh, which I attended, he attended, members of Pete's family attended, Ellen, who's the the lady from the Turnpike, she attended. Joe Platt, who was the local MP, she attended, and we had a discussion, just a formal discussion, really, you know, about you know how, we, how they all they all agreed basically it should be it should be honoured, mm. and then and from that we set up other meetings and, and everything developed from that. You know, there was a plan put in place what what we wanted to do and how we how we could achieve it type of thing. So, but it also like escalated from that. That was back in January two thousand and nineteen. Uh, and obviously since then, we've had loads of meetings, we've had loads of fundraisers and all all sorts have gone on since then, so it's all been
2: gone. Mm, mm, absolutely. And how how did Paul Banks and Ellie get involved? To start with Paul.
3: I think it was originally uh, intended that um, my partner Nicola was going to get involved, but Nicola mentioned it to me that um, one of my friends put, well, Nicola and Paul used to live on the same street when um, when they were younger. So, like Paul's originally got in contact with Nicola, but then it got passed over to me. And that, and obviously, I was delighted to get involved. I, as Paul said, he hasn't been recognised within the town. My feeling is that he's an icon for the modern age, really, and somebody who can inspire young people in Lee. I mean, the, the thing about Lee, I think, at the moment, you're probably aware of, is that the only reason it's in the press is because of the last general election and um, the um, the fact that you know, the, the, the politics here are quite divisive at the moment. So for me, it was nice to get involved in something that was positive, and he's you know, he's, he's talking about somebody we should be celebrating, really. So yeah, my, my involvement really is that uh, you know, Paul inspired me to get involved, and I got involved I think when the gig started to take place in Lee. We've we run a few successful fundraisers at a club in Lee Corley Abbey, Then we, we actually partnered up with the Turnpike Centre in Lee to run a gig that um, took place alongside the understated exhibition, which was an exhibition where Malcolm Garrett was involved. We, it was displaying all Buscott's posters, lots of Malcolm Garrett's artwork. It was a fantastic exhibition. I think that's when the campaign, in a way, started really sort of moving forward as well. It started to get, you know, that national recognition what we were trying to do. And I think it's just got better and better. I think, obviously, culminating in the blue plaque from from last week, last weekend. You know, we in a, re- a really strong position. But, you know, we want to go further. I think, you know, a blue plaque's fantastic, but, we'll have something that celebrates Pete's life and art form in the centre of Lee. That's a big aim and our aspiration now. Paul's a very persuasive character. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was delighted to, um, to get involved in, in the campaign. You know, he, you know, he just drips with the passion for this, really. So I think Paul's really driven the campaign forward. And, you know, for me, I, I'm just delighted to be involved as a fan. As simple as that, really. And, you know, if we can make Lee a better place by celebrating Pete's life, that would that, be an amazing thing.
2: Mm, brilliant and what about you Ellie how did you get involved
1: well I'm not actually from Lee I'm from more central Manchester so I was looking for concerts on in Manchester this was as Paul said earlier the same week as the tribute concert the academy that I went to yeah and it come up that there was a Pete Shelley related concert on so I clicked on it and it said I wouldn't I wouldn't have been obviously wouldn't have been able to attend because I was at a different one but I joined the group, I thought I'll, I'll keep on track with it and see what see if there's any in the future. And then more, I saw more people started to join, so I thought right, it, it, it's actually, it's taking This so I started following the group. And then I think Paul put a post out, or someone put a post out about volunteering or something, so I said I can, you know, I'm quite handy with Photoshop and making posters basically, so I said I can do any of that, I can do photography, I can do whatever, if any of that's needed and that's
2: it yeah mm, excellent so paul banks was it promotion that you're into or, or what's your i think it's really to, um around the
3: sort of organization the gigs i think one of the main services they offered i think to the campaign was running the bar on the gig at the turnpike. <laughs> so
2: very important <laughs> job a very important job
3: and um, and also doing a very chaotic light show. I think, I think there's very much a DIY ethos in the campaign around how we do these things, which I'm sure that Pete will, will love, you know, because mm. I think that was his attitude as well. The, the turnpike gigging in particular, for me, that was one of the high points, really. Being able to sort of run the event, not just sort of hire a room and expect to be staffed by other people. It was basically the campaign running the entire thing, really. So it's just getting stuck in, really. I think that's what I'm really enjoying about it. So it's like, you know, the gig we did at St. Joseph, which Paul mentioned the last gig that he went to. Again, very much DIY, but everything was done by the campaign. Mm. We were, you know, from the publicity, you know, to, to staffing the doors to make, you know, we, we've... I mean, the campaign, really, it's run by the, the generosity of others fundamentally. It's not just us as a campaign team, it's all the bands. We've, we've got ad sound engineers who've been giving us time and, you know, preferential rates as well for, you know, to to do the sound. So it's, it's, that's, I think that's what I've really enjoyed about it, and that's my involvement. It's just really been able to get stuck into putting those gigs on mm. in, in a very much organised chaos way, really. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the results have been fantastic. You know, I I was brought up in Lee like Paul, and um, I think one of the things that's missing is that it, it has been a bit of a cultural void, to be honest. But I think what's been great about those nights is that it's it's like an event that you'd expect in manchester if that makes sense they've been absolutely packed there's been that infused as i know that enjoyment so that's why i like you know like doing it in the campaign really is really just sort of get you know that front end stuff have really just been involved in you know doing the bread and butter and the nitty-gritty to putting the gigs on the organizing the gigs
2: yeah and so over the last two years how many gigs would you say you've put on what are we up to paul
0: six, six i think we're okay. we're, at, we're at six now i think yeah. So we've had six, but we also had um family fun weekend as well. That was live music as well, but there was other there was a uh, craft fair and there was all other things going on as well. And none of us, you have to remember that none of us are uh, music promoters or you know none of us have any experience of this type of thing. So we're so we're all doing it from how we think it should be done, and you know, and, and then watching it all come together, and, and then getting all the positive feedback at the end of it. You know, we're, we're obviously doing something right. You know, we're, we're selling out the gigs as well. Like, Paul said it's been really good, cool, really enjoyable to, to actually put an event on and you don't really know what you're doing, but, but you've done it and you know, you've got positive results, you've made decent money from it for the campaign and something quite heartwarming about that, you know what I mean? Because it, it's, it's been our work and you know, you've know you got you've got your bands who, who are volunteering the time, your sound engineer who's volunteering this time. And we've had, like, like Paul said, um, we had the the turnpike that was staffed by all volunteers uh, we've had volunteers selling us raffle tickets for us, you know, at events, and the DIY ethos, and the fact that it's a collective project and it's open to everybody to become involved. And people do get involved, you know, if they see you struggling, they'll offer to to give you a hand, and you know, don't me do this for you, don't me do that for you. And there's very much of that that going on at all, all the events, which is brilliant. You know, it's, it, it's like I said before, it's like. Uh, like a big family, yeah, you mm. know, you're, you're all waking out for each other and all, all all helping out when they can. It's, it's, it's all been
3: good. It was really unfortunate, I think, that we got hit by COVID, obviously. I mean, an absolutely disaster for society in a way, but it, it was for the campaign, you know, from our perspective, it was like it stopped us dead in our tracks. But we've, mm. you know, we did put a virtual event on dur- um, during that during COVID as well that was well received. Obviously, we've, everybody's hoping that we can forget about 2020 and move on 2021. But I think we're, we're looking maybe at moving obviously putting more events on in lee but maybe moving to putting events on in manchester as well and and elsewhere in the country because we have generated that interest as people approaching us now from brighton london and internationally as well so i think that might be a way to go forward with that again recruiting more people we're always looking for volunteers fans of pete or you know people who just want to get involved and do something good We're, we're a campaign looking for goodwill and we've got a lot of goodwill it's been you know it's been a fantastic thing to be involved in but there's definitely going to be bigger and better things for the campaign in 2021. And we were looking to, you know, expand the amount of live events that we're going to be putting on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's incredible that you've put these things on essentially from scratch and you're selling these shows out and gaining that support from people all over the country, like people traveling from all over the country to Lee and then equally, like you said there, Paul, them also going back and then probably talking to their friends and that's how you're getting these offers from elsewhere. I think it's incredible. And Paul Lally as well saying it's a family feel to it. And that's what punk's all about, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, good to go to the bands. You, you know what I mean? We, you ask any bands, do you fancy playing this? It's for Pete Shelley, you know, and the, the, the intention is we're, we're going to get him a memorial for the Town Centre. And not once has anybody questioned it. They've all said, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, that's what it's for. Yeah. And obviously we 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 couldn't do it without without the bands and the and the people coming watching and it's been amazing you know no one hesitates everyone says oh yeah of course of course and you know and then we've got people approaching us saying next time you have a fundraiser can our band play and, and we're at that stage you know and, and it's it's really good and it and it again like I keep saying it it just it speaks volumes about P C yeah, I don't it everyone wants to do something to get this goal and there's something else to, to the campaign as well right at the end of it once we've paid for the memorial we want to set up as a foundation mm. which will be like a, a charity status we'll continue fundraising then once everything's once the memorial's been paid for we will continue fundraising everything we raise will we'll go straight back into the community and it'll help for the youth in the area in music and arts and writing and things like that and um you know, it came up with that idea, and, and Pete's, Pete's widower and Pete's family. Uh, you know, they've all said, "What an excellent idea!" You know, that that's Pete all over. Pete was all about helping and supporting people, and yeah. they they thought sort of like, you know, they saying, "What an excellent idea!" And for us, it keeps his name alive as well. You know,
2: keeps yeah. his
0: legacy alive. And you know,
2: absolutely. And it's gr- it's great that you've got the support of the family as well.
0: Yeah, and, uh, we've also got Malcolm Garrett as well. You know, M- Malcolm Garrett joined our team. Mm. Uh, and he's working with us. We, we quite often have meetings with, with with him on Zoom. Yeah. He he fully supports the campaign and the, and the campaign's goals, and he's very much, you know, um, a part of it. You know, he, he's chasing our aims with us. You know, he's a very very much an active part of it. And you know, we forward, is is good to have on board.
2: That's pretty incredible as well. Because uh, for those who are listening, who might not know, Malcolm Garrett was the artist who came up with the sleeves for Orgasm Addict and uh, another music in a different kitchen along with quite a few others and also went on to do stuff for Duran Duran and yeah. other bands like that. It's incredible. And he's he's taken an active role in the group.
3: He did an amazing speech as well, Malcolm, yes. on the unveiling of the Blue Plaque. It was really emotional and from the heart. Mm-hmm. And I think having Malcolm's input is awfully going to lead towards a lasting memorial that's not only... Going to look amazing that it will, you know, and have that authenticity because obviously Malcolm was a very close friend of Pete's. Mm. But it'll be something that people want to see, you know, they want to come to Lee and look at it. That's that's Sarah's sort of aspiration. That's the stage that we're at now. The blue plaque's in place, that's helping to keep Pete's story alive in Lee. But our next name, obviously, is that memorial that we're looking for. And, uh, and and having Malcolm on board is is a dream, really. He's such a lovely man, and the way he speaks about the peaks is just inspirational. So we feel really lucky and privileged to have him on board.
2: And you've you've had some fairly, I would say, well-known in terms of the punk scene, kind of bands involved in the gigs as well, right? It's not just local bands playing. These have been around alive and kicking for a while, right? So if you list off a few of the names of the bands that you've had at the gigs?
0: We've had had the Drones, who were obviously early days. punk scene, they they started in 76, 77. They played at at the last fundraiser. We've had uh, the Distractions, again, around from the early days, 76, 77. They played at the last fundraiser. We've had Not Sensibles, who were retired and came out of retirement especially to play, the, play that fundraiser. Wow. Uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. I didn't have to beg them to do anything. I asked them the question and, and you know, straight away, yeah, of course we will, yeah, yeah. And, and they came out of retirement, they rehearsed for it and and put on, you know, they, they, they did their bit and brilliant. Fast fast cars as well, we've, we've had them. And coming up on the next fundraiser, we've got a band called the IVs, who were made up of members of the things. Who were around in the 80s, uh, and John Mayer, who was the original drummer of Oscott's drums with the thing. So there's that connection there. It seems you know a lot, a lot of the bands have all got a connection to Pete back in the early days, and we've got V2 as well. They're in touch with us quite a lot, and they want to play at a future fundraiser. And, and they were you know they're, they're back from 76, 77. Um, so there's there's that strong connection of that Manchester 76, 77 connection, all wanting to to do their bit, you know, to, to, to be involved, really, really good.
2: Again, it comes down to that community as well, doesn't it? Indeed. The kind of 70s punk community all started out in that DIY way as well and can obviously see yeah. that same passion in yourselves. And again, it speaks to Pete Shelley and his legacy, doesn't it? And his ethics and everything.
0: Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And although as well, I mustn't forget, do you remember the Freshest? Uh, Chris Seavey, Frank Sidebottom. Yeah, remember the Freshies? They were pencilled in to play at our next fundraiser. And you think about their work after Chris Seavey passed away. They, they obviously they got a statue of Frank Sidebottom in Timperley. So to us, they're quite relevant because obviously they're from the same time. Chris, Chris knew Pete, and obviously the, the band they didn't hesitate. Yeah, of course we'll play. Yeah, yeah. they always support what we're trying to achieve because obviously they've all been through it themselves. You can look at all the bands, and I know we, we've had local bands playing, but. They wanted to play, and and it's about opening it up and involving everybody. When they want to play, you know, we encourage them to play. Of course, you can play. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get you on. If we can't get you on that one, we'll get you on the next one. But it, it's open to to everybody, and 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 that's what's so good about it. You know, it, it's got to be a collective thing. You know, everybody's welcome to to get on board and and do what what they need to do.
2: Yeah, that's incredible. And that's all pre-COVID as well. Since COVID, like you said, Paul, you've done a virtual gig. Have you managed to get anyone involved in the campaign who otherwise might not have? Because I know that during 2020, it's actually a lot easier to get in contact with people because they're literally not doing anything. So is there anyone who might have been a harder get who you've managed to get involved this year because of the situation we've all found ourselves in? Um,
0: we have a guy called Krishna that works with us. He's part of the campaign team. He's on the committee, and his his background is he's, he's very much into IT. So he helps us with the online stuff and the videos. But we have had some excellent results. Well, I don't want to I'll get I'll pass it over to Paul, and then Paul can tell you you know what what we've had and who we've had. I think I think one of the big eye-openers was when,
3: obviously, with the blue plaque, is there's people we've approached initially in the campaign who, who were a bit, I suppose, sceptical. Um, that's a fair way of saying it about it, about what our aims were. And then it's obviously transpired in, the, in, in, in recent times that we've got very sort of laudable aims in, in the campaign. So I think when Christian and Paul have put the shout-out for, for contributions to the video around the blue plaque, we've had the likes of Matt Riley... Johnny Marr, John Cooper-Clark, who have come forward and and said, yeah, we we would love to contribute to that video. And, you know, we've had loads and loads of people we just didn't think would be, you're interested in contributing, really, which I suppose is testament to the strength of the idea behind what we're trying to achieve. So I think that's what's been notable, you know, in in recent. So I think it's just going to get better better and better in that as well. I think what we're finding now is that people are coming to us, whereas in, I think, when we were starting the campaign, it was, I think Paul especially was run ragged, sort of, you know, getting in contact with, you know, everybody under the sun, really, to try to get some support. But now I think it's, sort of things have changed now, I think. Um, now to see that, you know, what, we, what we're trying to achieve and, and more people are definitely coming forward who knew Pete and who are fans of Pete's work. And it's, it, it's been, I mean, that video of, you know, anybody's listening to the podcast and they get a chance, you know, to visit the Pete Memorial campaign page and look at Malcolm's speech that video. And it, I think it shows what it does give a good indication of where we have to campaign.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That speech is, uh, like you say, incredibly emotional. And I saw a video of John Cooper Clark as well, doing a bit of a tribute too. and that guy is a hero of mine as well. So the initial goal of the campaign was to get the blue plaque in memorial for Pete up on the the wall of his childhood home, not the home he was born in. But the one where he grew up, right?
0: It's the one he called home. Yeah, uh, that's that's how uh, we really look at it. It's the one that he called home. It's the one that he spent most of his youth there growing up in. So it's what he called home, and his his mum continued to live there for the rest of her life as well after Peter moved on. So, so it was quite relevant that it, it went there. Yeah, uh, and I don't know if I've said before, but when you when you look at the plaque. The, the room at the side of the plaque was actually pete's bedroom so oh, it's right. quite significant that the So I, I didn't know myself until fr- until the friday on the unveiling
2: oh that's incredible
0: a member of the family told me that yeah well that, that was pete's bedroom so
2: oh that's great and um how did each of you feel about kind of achieving that goal were you all there at the at the unveiling
1: i wasn't there
2: right so ellie you, you couldn't get there were you uh otherwise engaged Isolating. oh right oh i see what a pain are you going to make a pilgrimage to it after you finished isolating
1: yeah i'll finish now i'm planning to go as soon as i can
2: how was it to know that you were part of a group that has managed to get this done what was the feeling and especially when you watch that video of malcolm giving the speech what was your feeling
1: it's incredible isn't it when you think of how many people have come together to get that to happen? It's quite mind-blowing, really, because you think they're not the biggest band, you know, they're not the Clash, they're not the Sex Pistols. And while they were big, you don't expect that to come out of a community effort. But when you look at it as it is, it's exceptional, as you could say.
0: <laughs> the
3: partnerships that we've created, I think, have really helped to make the Blue Plot happen. There's obviously the partnerships that we've had with the Turnpike in Lee, which is a local CRC which focuses on arts and culture. As Wigan Council have been involved in that as well who we, we funded the blue plaque and we're thinking that's really going to help us move forward now we're obviously working with that partnership group to talk about having a lasting memorial actually within the centre of Lee which will fit in some of the developments that's our sort of move forward but the blue plaque it was almost like there's some permanence there now isn't there really is that you know it's, it's always going to be there and, that, and I think that's what was inspirational about you know talking to Paul Lally originally around this is that idea that we want to keep that narrative alive so that blue pack is going to really help that now, but we can move that forward even further now you know we can perhaps create a you know memorial within the centre of Lee potentially, and again that's what's going to inspire future generations. Pete's an, an amazing icon that DIY ethos and you know his, his creativity and, and the body of work that he's got is you know you can't help but be impressed. And if you're a young person growing up in in Lee and you know that Pete did that coming from this town it can only inspire
2: yeah absolutely and paul lally from someone who was there from kind of day one from ground zero how did it feel for you
0: well well for me right at the beginning um i called for a statue a blue plaque a bench with his, with his name on it murals all over leo of uh, uh, pete you know i called for everything i could call for
2: yeah going all out
0: obviously when things start, start moving, then obviously you, you get a bit sensible about it, and and you see what what can be achieved. Obviously, these were the things that were discussed at the meetings. You know, the blue plaque, um, the exhibition at the Turnpike that Markham curated, and then the permanent memorial. So we sort of had a checklist of things we wanted, and, and we're ticking them off as as we do them. So now to get the partnership working with Wigan with Council was, was very important. And what I find reassuring is. They've listened to us, they've understood from a local point of view how it means locally, you know, you know, Lee's often quite neglected and you know, and and Pete's been overlooked. And this is an opportunity for for everyone and you know, people in Lee should feel proud. They've been overly impressed because we put events on in Lee. And there is no live music venues in Lee. So we've created our own live music venues, put live events on, and we brought people into Lee. So they've been overly impressed with that. And then obviously they funded the blue plaque so to me to see something physical and actually see a result it's a great moment you think great excellent that's one massive step you know and, and the next step we'll get the same feeling again but yeah i think it's the start of uh of many things that that that, that we still want to achieve
2: mm.
0: but it's very important because it is that that, that first um, physical thing now you know so it it's will help us
2: Absolutely. What was the process of figuring out what was going to be on the plaque? Who chose the lyric?
0: Well, first of all, were, it was just going to be a plaque with Pete's name on it, and then we asked at the meetings we got to, we asked, "Can we extend that bit and have something a bit personal on it?" And they said, "Yeah, of course." Yeah, well, what have you got in mind? So then, after that, we discussed as a campaign what we think would be relevant, and obviously the song lyrics are obvious, and obviously we involve Pete's family as well, you know, in, in deciding what words would be on there. So, so collectively as a campaign. And with the family, that's what we came to. And, and when you look at it, it's um, it's very relevant, you know. It's Pete. When you just read it, you just immediately, us that let know, you immediately think, Pete. Yeah. Anybody in the future looking at it might think, well, what does all that mean? But well, then they'll go away and they'll research Pete and, and it'll all, you know, well, that'll make sense, won't it?
2: Yeah. No, I mean, rather than have, you know, have you ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't have, having... Life's an illusion, love is a dream. Like you say, it's uh, much more fitting and much more a reflection of who Pete was. And like you're right, it might make some people Google it and go down a rabbit hole. Hopefully,
0: yeah. Well, one of the things when I've been having discussions in the campaign, right at the beginning, I spoke with Deborah Garvey a lot. Who's Steve Garvey, who was the best player in the Buscocks. It's his wife. She supported the campaign through the beginning and. I've had quite a lot of conversations and she throws a lot of ideas and puts personal things in, in there. Uh, and I remember when we first met Malcolm early days in 2019, just before the exhibition. And I remember Deborah Garvey came up with an idea and she said to me, I can see a mural of Pete in a spaceship just floating in, in space with some lyrics underneath it. And I thought, oh, that didn't mean anything to me. That you know, that didn't mean anything. Oh, talking about cheese is what she said. And, you know, Pete floating in space and then talking about cheese. So to me, not a clue that I you knew it didn't mean anything to me, but I mentioned it to Malcolm. I said, "Oh, Deborah Gavis, And the big smile on his face, he said, "You know what?" He says, "That that's Pete, in a nutshell." Okay. So you know, what I mean? the, the fact that all them people have all got personal bits, what they can put into the campaign, you know, it makes it all relevant. You, you know, mm. it's, it's not as though it's just some note case from me that's come up with an idea. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of people added a lot of input into it. You, you know what I mean? So it is all fitting and all relevant. You, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And did you ever reach out to Steve Diggle?
0: Yes, yeah, quite quite a lot. Um we've, we've had obviously we've had contact with the band, we, we spoke with his present manager, Raf, yes. uh, we spoke with Steve Diggle's management. I think like like Paul said earlier on, in the early days there was a bit you know what these look to you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I understand that, you know, he, he wouldn't think like that, but they have, as, as time's gone on, they, they have helped and supported. I mean, they give us a load of t shirts supposed to sell it at the events, you know, that, that was provided from from Bozcock's management team. You know, set them T-shirts, sell them at the events, keep the money, stick it into your campaign box. So, All right. so they have, they've been involved and developed where they can. Mm.
2: But yeah, I suppose it's that whole thing of like, view you with suspicion until you've proved what you're about. And I guess the plaque is proving what you're about.
0: That's helped, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well you know, pre that, we, we had the exhibition, you know, the um, Buscox management team came down to that exhibition we had in, the, in November um, and we sort of like met them then, November 2019, we met them for the first time, were really. Uh, everything else before that had been emails and telephone calls. So, I, yeah, I think as as it goes on, like you said, it, it shows it's worth and it shows it's all genuine. And it's not just some a gang of noughters from who well, uh, have come up with a crazy idea, you, you know. I think it's it, the, the evidence is there now that everything's been genuine, everything's worked. We've raised a decent amount of money. We've got the blue plaque. And, and it's almost an upwards op- mark and now working with us. So everything's moving on at a
2: massive pace. Really. Yeah, well, the pair of you, Paul's, have both said that there's other things in the pipework. So what is next for the campaign?
3: I think really it's, it's, get, it's getting back into, you know, fundraising through live events. I think that's what's in, in our mind at the moment. We're obviously, we don't really know what's going to go on in terms of sort of COVID and, you know, with the vaccine that's come out, whether, you know, what's going to be the time that things are going to get back to a degree of normality. We do have a gig that, that is planned, but it's in February. But it's probably, we're not sure if that's going to go ahead or not at the moment. So we, 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 we've had to cancel it, obviously, because of the pandemic a couple of times now. Mm-hmm. So, and then again, that's at the turnpike. That, that's what we want to get back into. We've, I think we want to sort of take, we, we've had a lot of people join the campaign from around the country and you know around the world, really. So I think maybe reaching out to those people as well. We've been joining with other campaign groups who are trying to do similar things as a group that's looking at preserving Joe Strummer's legacy. We've we've reached out to us and we've joined him with them. So I think it's about reflecting on where where we've got and trying to push forward that fundraising. But, you know, taking the campaign maybe to different towns, we'll obviously always want things to take place in Lee because Lee needs it. Lee needs those live events going on, but we we can certainly um, can broaden our horizons about where these campaign fundraising events can take place. And we've made loads of great friends who've been so generous. We're in a really strong position now having the blue plaque in place. It's like we've got that benchmark now. That's where, we, we, we're, where we're at. We can use that as a springboard to go forward now with things. So let's just see when we can all get back to normal in 2021 and we'll start putting those live events on. And you know, a lot of our f- new friends that we've made have, have already you know, said that they, they, they would absolutely love to play those events. So I think we'll be very, very active towards the middle of 2021 and, f- and forward from then.
2: Mm. And you're also talking about other initiatives beyond the blue plaque into kind of something to do with kids in music.
3: Yeah, I think part of the work that what we're looking to do, we've been working close. There's a new heritage centre that that is currently under construction in the centre of Lee. And again, this is something through Wigan Council. We've been in discussions with officers in the heritage team about how we could potentially run workshops, which are educational workshops. We should tell Pete's story. You know, it could be workshops around lyrics. It could be workshops around music. And Krishna, um, who's involved in the campaign, who's got some incredible um, skills with video making, you know, we're hoping he's, he's going to be able to help us to get create those resources mm. and obviously get some permanence around Pete's story in that, in that centre. You know, there's a local library in Lee as well. So it's about having the repository of Pete's work, I suppose. Um, there's loads of work that came out from the Understated Exhibition that potentially could have permanent residence in that heritage centre as well. So Pete's definitely going to figure in that new building. We're trying to get Pete's face everywhere. I think that's the uh, you know that sort of idea. What we did, what we have found more than we won't mention, is that a lot of local schools have actually been doing work on um, local heroes and icons, and Pete's figured really heavily in that in that work, which is independent of the campaign. So we've not been prompting people to do that. So that that narrative is already developing. We've had a group that actually lives in Central Lee Neighbors group that's um, completed these sort of discs of icons where you've got 10 icons from Liam Peaks, one of those icons. And again, something that we haven't prompted, it's been the young people in those communities who've been driving that forward. So we're absolutely delighted that that story is being carried on in those ways. Mm. I think that's for us that's central to the campaign It's keeping that story alive. Yeah. So us working with, you know, partners in the heritage center with we can with the turnpike and local communities, it, it's, it's going to really help that. But that will be as important as the memorial itself of the stories alive.
2: Well, it looks like there's a lot on for 2021. It looks like you you guys have uh, got a lot of work left to do, and it's a good place to leave it on that hopeful look into the future. But what is your hope for 2021?
0: I think, and I just add to what Paul said there. I yeah. think right at the beginning of the campaign, what opened my eyes was um, I thought everybody in Lee knew who Pete Shelley was, and it turns out three quarters of the people that live in Lee didn't even know who he was, and that he came from Lee. But now we can look back and we can all look back and we can all, like Paul said about the schools doing work about Pete, and we can all look back and be proud of the fact that we've actually raised the profile of Pete in Lee and now everybody in Lee knows you know, who Pete Telly is and they came from Lee and it's all evident that you know, that, 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 that works. He's in the local newspaper at least. You know, he, he must have been in about 20 times since we started doing the campaign and it's all, you know, stories about the campaign, all about Pete Shelley. And obviously it's evident, you see the schools doing work around Pete Shelley, know, been knew about it. you, know, you know what I mean? Before that, it's evident that whatever we've been doing, we've been doing it right. And, it, and that, I think that's why it's grown and, and it just continues to grow. So for me, looking forward... We've still got aims, we still we still, we still need to do them, but I can see them all, all it's all coming together. Mm. And, and in the end, obviously, we'll, we'll have the foundation and the old community then will, will benefit on the back of all this work, what we've just spent two years doing. I, I think the future, it, it looks good. You can see where, where it's going and you can see what you've done and you can see exactly where it's leading to. So mm. it'll be good for the community in the area.
2: That's good. Bang that drum.
0: Yeah. <laughs> The thing is, I don't want to keep banging that drum because I'm sick of seeing my own name in the newspaper. I keep saying, you know, every time that it's a collective project and I come to this without all that help and the support from everybody that, that, you know, from Paul and Krishna and Ellie. You know, everyone what has been actively involved in it and actually doing the the graft from the bands that are playing, the sound engineers, the venues that, that are levels to use their venues the people that come along and, and and spend their money on the merchandise and come along to the gigs without all that it won't have happened we've not to got there so it is a massive collective project and everyone's been involved and everyone's played the part so when i bang that drum i bang it on behalf of everybody you know everyone's everyone's been brilliant everyone's got us to where we are
2: mm. no i know you you're uh, you're the reluctant figurehead i know that for sure <laughs> But again, it's a testament to your hard work as well as everyone else organising this campaign. It's a great thing. Ellie, what about you? What's your thoughts for 2021, both personally and for the campaign?
1: Well, I think it's just repeating what's already been said. I mean, it's higher, further, faster, get where we can, see what what can be done, push any boundaries that come up, get what's possible and do it and do more.
2: Mm.
1: And hopefully get past everything that's happened this year every negative thing that's happened this year at least and keep it going
2: well I can imagine it's given you guys a sense of something positive to focus on during this year which has been quite challenging for everyone
1: oh definitely yeah it's been it's been a, f- a nice thing to be able to be a part of when there's nothing else to be a part of mm.
2: and uh and Paul what about yourself what are you hoping for the group and 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 you know ahead into 2021
3: personally I think of for twenty twenty one is actually to get back into and it sounds a bit of a selfish thing to get back in a pub and have a drink with some friends and chat about <laughs> music life and I, I'm a quite a traditional bloke really when I finish work I like to pop into a pub in Wigan which I meet up with one of my friends who's a massive Fall fan as well and we do we, we just talk about music and politics and you know life in general and that's that that that's the thing that I I've really missed. But for the campaign the next time we can do a live event, that's when I'll be happy again. Those live events, there's something else I've been mentioning about that DIY aspect. It's all organised, about everybody pulling their weight and getting together to make something happen. The campaign is completely. There's no pretensions to the campaign. Everybody's just you know doing it for the right things, and it's a real joy to be a part. So I think when we get that that next live event sorted and it's taking place, the engine of the campaign will be moving again, and we'll you know start seeing the, the, the funding coming back you'll know, start creating those funds again for that memorial and it's going to happen soon i'm sure we'll by the middle of 2021 we'll be back on it
2: yeah i think it's such an important thing both the pub and getting out there and getting involved with music and stuff there's nothing better than getting together with friends over a over a drink and, and putting the world to rights and there's also yeah. equally nothing better in my view than going to see some bands play Live, whether it's songs you know, whether it's songs you don't. I really hope everything is returning to some sort of normal after the vaccine comes out, so that you guys can get on and uh, keep promoting, keep putting on shows. It sounds like you're doing the Lord's work up there, and um, I'm sure Pete's happy with it. I, he must be.
0: On that, on that, can I can I just throw something in there? So, something that I remember from from the campaign. When was it? The understated exhibition in Leeds. There's a member of Pete's family, It's an elderly lady, and she's Pete's auntie. And she approached me and gave me a big hug. And she said to me, and these words will stick with me forever, and and they're inspirational, really. But she said, Pete's mum and Pete's dad will be so proud of everything that that you've done and everything that that, that you lot are doing within the campaign. And she said, I'll tell you something, it's Margaret, Pete's mum. She'll be waiting for you up there, and and there'll be a big hug waiting for you when, when you get up there. And they're just words that, you know, they've stuck and it's, it's nice, isn't it? You know, it's something that I'll always remember, you know, I'll never forget that.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. And that, that is a great way, I think, to end up. So um, thank you, Paul Lally, Paul Banks, Ellie Porter for your time today. Thank you for being on. Thank you for sharing your story. And hopefully I'll be able to put that out there. Before I do wrap it up, though, where can people find the campaign online?
0: We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. We also have a, a, a website, Uh They can contact us by email. Uh, all, all the information uh, will be on there. It's peatshelly.msc at gmail.com. Across social media, if you just search for Pete Shelley Memorial, you'll find us easy, easy enough. We're all, we're all over the place.
2: Well, that's brilliant. Again, thank you so much for your time this evening, and I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thanks, Tom. Thank you
2: very much. Thanks, Tom. Cheers, guys. There it is. It was an absolute delight to talk to Paul, Ellie and Paul about the Pete Shelley Memorial campaign. I'm sure you'll agree their passion is infectious. Please do search them out on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and be sure to visit PeteShelleyMemorial.com and buy some merch from them. They have an album of bands covering Shelley's songs called Yesterday's Not Here and an Etsy page where they're selling t-shirts, blue plaque badges and fridge magnets. And all the money goes back into the campaign to fund future events and initiatives. Once more, a big thank you to Paul Lally, Paul Banks and Ellie Porter for giving up their time to talk to me and for you for listening. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Band Biographies. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Please do reach out on Twitter at Bandbiogs, Instagram at Bandbiographies, search on Facebook for Band Biographies, or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com. See you next time.